Thank you, those of you who um, logged in and joined us for the worship this morning, or maybe you're just joining us right now. Uh, we thank you so much for being with us today and um, just partaking in all of this um, with us. I know that <laughs> it's all right. I know that um, it's difficult right now that uh, we are um, not together, that we are separated, but I praise God that despite this isolation and separation that we're experiencing in the physical, that we serve a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that's not bound by geography. That even in the Spirit, we are still together. We are still joining together in this place. So thank you uh, so much. I'm really rejoicing, uh, continuing to rejoice uh, in this last week um, after Resurrection Sunday. And if I can be honest with you, I think this particular Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday that just passed, was probably one of the most special Resurrection Easter Sundays that I've ever lived in and experienced. And it's not because the day changed. It's not because the, the, the principle and the idea of the day changed, but it was because of our circumstances. How much more precious and valuable is that day, even in the midst of our current circumstances? And so um, today I, I want to transition a, a little bit um, in our message today and in our text. You know, I, I really thought long and hard this week about what message I would bring, a message of hope and inspiration and encouragement. I thought long and hard about what words I would use and how I would give you a great sermon starter and all of these illustrations during the sermon. And, and if I can be completely honest, I came up with nothing. And I, it wasn't that I had a writer's block. It wasn't that I didn't necessarily have the words that could probably in the, in the physical kind of get you stirred up. But it would be an emotional response, and an emotional response only. And I didn't want that. I wanted something so much more deep, uh, deeper. I wanted something so much more profound for all of you today. And so, and so I didn't have the words. I thought, what better place to find my words but in the Word? And so today... I want to do something a little different. I don't want to give you just a small passage and we read through it and I give you all these practical applications. No, today I want to read through a, a good chunk of scripture. And I know we kind of frown against that today in the church for some odd reason. I don't know why. Thinking maybe it would bore the people if we just read the word. 
But when I examine the Old Testament, I see over and over again that the people of God in times of difficulty, when there were times of repentance and growth that were needed, they stood in the public squares and they read publicly aloud the word of God. And so I want to do a little bit of that, a little bit of that today, but also still give you some real life application. So, you know, as I was thinking about the times that we're in, as I was meditating on the word and I read through the resurrection story and the, the gospel narrative takes you, especially if you read Luke 1 and Luke 2, which is the book of Acts, you read about what the church, the early church went through in the text. But that was early on in the life of the church. I needed to read or be in the in the shoes of the early church a little later, a little further along in church history. And so I found myself in the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, just to give you some context before we get in the scripture, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. There are many scholars who have different theories about who that is. But nonetheless, this author of the book of Hebrews writing this letter wrote to a people who were the Jewish people, Messianic Jews, who were in dispersion along the region and throughout the region. And when he was writing to these Messianic Jews, and I think it's important, and I mentioned that so specifically before we get started in our reading today, because in this community of Messianic Jews throughout this region, um, the biblical uh, uh, geography that we read in the text, these people were devout Jews who spent their whole lives, and Gentiles as well, but the writer of Hebrews has a very Jewish focus. And he's writing to the Jewish people to let them know not to return. And in the, the synopsis for the book of Hebrews, and we're going to dive into a nice section of this, is that the writer of Hebrews is telling the people not to go back to your former ways. Not to go back to the old ways of the sacrifices and the traditions and customs of the faith of your faith that was completed and that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I think that message applies to us today. That God is speaking to us through his word to tell us how to stand firm in devotion to Christ. And not to return back to our former ways. So how do we do that? How do we stand firm in devotion to Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to read some of the text today, um, and, and I'm going to give you some additional scriptural references to help connect the message for you today and help you really get real foundation in the scripture. So again, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to be reading from the NIV today. So those of you at home, uh, if you have your electronic Bibles or Bible at home, we're going to be reading from the NIV. Again, I think our pew Bibles here are NIV as well, but whatever you have is just fine. If you don't have an NIV Bible, it'll get us to the same place. So again, we're reading from Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read 39 or 29, rather 19 to 39. And I know that seems like a uh, large uh, group of scriptures, but we're going to take it in three chunks at a time. All right, so we're going to start again in, in verse 19. Now keep in mind that here, before we get into the scripture, the people of the Old Testament, the Jewish people of the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice or make sacrifices before they approached God. In particular, the high priest would have to approach God, but only one time a year he would have to go through the veil and enter into the Holy of Holies. 
And in doing so, he would have to come, not empty-handed, but with the blood of a lamb, a spotless and blemishless, a pure lamb. And he would do this not only to offer sacrifice, not only for himself, but he would do it to offer sacrifice for the remission of sins for all of the people. Today, last week, and what we experienced, Christ became that sacrifice for us. He became that sacrifice, beloved, so that we ourselves could cross the veil, could get into the Holy of Holies, and through Christ Jesus enter into the holy presence of the living God. And the great thing about it is that God will answer us. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you. Uh, and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. See, the great God of the universe that we serve is open to hearing, to listening, and to answering our prayers. And what a privilege it is to talk to this amazing and living God and get an answer from Him. So in this scripture that we're about to read, I want to I describe to you the access that was achieved by Christ Jesus, our foundation and the reason for our devotion. So let us read, starting in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 19, we're going to read to verse 25, and it reads, you should have it up on, if you're watching this live, you probably have it uh, the slide in front of you right now. It reads, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur on one another towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more let us or all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's take a minute a few minutes today, to understand this text a little better. You see, the writer of Hebrews is helping us to understand that as we stand firm in our devotion to Christ, I think we have to really understand the access to God that was achieved through Jesus Christ. There was a provision that was provided through Jesus, as he describes in verse 19, where he tells us that it was through Christ's blood that we can even come into the presence of God. You see, in, in, the, in the old way, it was the priest who could enter the Holy of Holies, and only but one time a year. But we have something so much different. We, beloved, because of what happened last week, so many years ago, over 2,000 years ago, we have what Paul described in his letter to the church of Ephesus. In chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, In him and through him in faith we may approach God 
with faith, uh, rather with freedom and confidence. Christ made it possible. It was through Christ that we have the provision to even access the living God. See, we, we have to understand the access that was achieved in Jesus. But this was the plan from the very beginning. This was a plan that God set forth. And how do we know that? Uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 20 that it was by a new and living way that this was something different, guys. You got to catch that this was something different. What Jesus did on the cross was a new and a living thing. It wasn't the same as the old way. See, Jesus is presenting to us, presenting to me and you today, as we stand firm in our devotion to him, he's presenting to us a new covenant. It is a covenant which was opened by the price that was paid on the cross. See, his body, as the scripture tells us, was an illusion of the veil. And it was the torn body of Jesus that represented the torn veil that allowed us to enter through Jesus into the presence of the holy and living God. That we enter into the holy of holies, not anymore through a veil or through the shadow of the true temple, but we enter into the holy of holies. God, we have this privilege of entering through the torn body and blood of Jesus. Thank you, God. And Jesus actually confirms this in John, or John 10, 9, where Jesus says, I am the gate. Jesus says that I am the gate that whoever enters through me will be saved. Praise God. But more than Jesus being the veil, more than Jesus being the gate, the writer of Hebrews over and over again says that Jesus is our high priest. That he no longer fulfilled what the Old Testament talked about in the ritual sacrifice and in all of the, the ornaments and all of the decorations of the temple. No, Jesus was even a shadow or, or the fulfillment of the high priest. That Jesus came, and I'm not going to get into this, this is a whole other teaching. Jesus came in the order of Melchizedek. That Jesus is the high priest forever and ever. Amen. And let me tell you about this high priest. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he is a holy priest, that he is blameless, that he is pure, that the living God in Jesus, our high priest, is separated from sinners, and he is higher than the heavens. The great thing, though, is he's not just a God that is impersonal, a high priest that doesn't understand. No, 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 no. You have to understand that what he did last week, thousands of years ago, means that Jesus very intimately is our high priest, is able to intercede for us in ways beyond our understanding. That Jesus as high priest now can present our petitions and our intercessions in ways that are so intimate and personal. Because why? He lived it. He is truly fully man and fully God. That he intimately knows our pain, he knows our distress, he knows our sorrow, he knows our hardship, he knows, he understands our feelings, beloved, you may not think it, and if you're at home, you, you may not even feel it this way right now, but I'm here to remind you today that our living God, our great high priest, understands what you're going through, and he's already interceding 
on your behalf. And we should be encouraged today that we have this high priest who is so personal. And the writer of Hebrews again tells us he is personal. He is intimate. So what do you do? He says, draw near to this very personal, very intimate and living God and high priest that is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. We are to profess that confidence. We are to profess with confidence that which we have learned. I'll go back because this is really our key verse for today, and I neglected to mention this, and I apologize. Um, our key verse for today, and I think this kind of brings it home. I got lost in the word, and I, I didn't mention our key verse today because I think this really brings it home. In Hebrews chapter 2, if you, again you have your Bibles open, you can turn a few pages. In verse 2, and this is kind of the key, I think, that ties it all together. It says that we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And what have we heard? We have heard exactly what I have just mentioned to you, that Christ was crucified, that Christ was resurrected, that He lives that our living God is the great high priest. He is the great intercessor for all of us. These are the things in which we have heard. And the writer of Hebrews is telling these uh, Messianic Jews this very same thing. Do not forget to pay attention to that which you have already heard. But that's only part of it. As we really understand the access that was achieved, it's only part of it for us to confess it, to profess it, to understand it. But the last part of it, which we just read in the latter part of this section of Scripture, tells us what we do next. The writer says to encourage one another. He tells us that not to forsake gathering together. Now, that's a really interesting and fluid concept today. And a lot of churches are using this scripture to argue about whether they should get together in this different time. But I will tell you that us gathering together doesn't mean that we're getting together in large numbers. It doesn't mean that we have to get together as a church body of 50, 60, 100, 120, whatever the number is. That's not what the scripture is telling us. Because see, as I mentioned earlier... Our God is not bound by geography. He's not bound by space. That when we get together, uh, even if it's two, or the Bible says where two or three are gathered, that He is in our midst. That if we just gather together, even if it's just a prayer call, even if it's on Zoom or Skype or whatever technology you're using, beloved, we are still gathering together. And I love that. Uh, Rini Forsberg actually uh, during one of our prayer calls she mentioned a meme and I happened to see it later and it, you may, some of you may have seen it it's a picture of Satan and, and, and God looking over the globe and Satan says ah see I just shut down all your churches and God says no I just opened up a million house churches praise God that we now have the fellowship of the, of the saints in our own household. That we now have the fellowship of the saints and encouragement in pockets and cells throughout our community. And we're no longer focused on the church being a building, but we're now focused on the church being the people. Amen. Psalms 122.1 says, I rejoice with those who said, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Let's read our next section of Scripture. We're going to read verse 26 through 31. So join me in that reading today. Thank you so much for your patience um, as we go through this text. Verse 26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has entreated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said this, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, every um, piece of equipment these days, every, you name it, almost everything that you buy from the store short of food, and even those have them, have some kind of warning label. They have some kind of information label that's normally stuck to the package or stuck to the piece of equipment or whatever we're buying. And the great thing about the package that we got in Jesus Christ in this gift that he gave us is the writer of Hebrews is letting us know that this too comes with a warning label. That the access that was provided through Jesus Christ, as we stand firm in him, it comes with a warning label. Now this is the other side of God that so many people in the world don't want to talk about. They talk about the judgment, the wrath of God is the other side of the same coin when we talk about love and grace. It is the fullness and the complete picture of God. And so this comes with a warning label. We're stubborn. If anyone in the room has teenagers or you remember being a teenager, which I hope that you would, we were really stubborn. And our teenagers today are the same way we were, really stubborn. And it's interesting how, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone yesterday about a particular teenager, and I reminded them that to have some grace, as much as you may want to choke that particular teenager, I said, have grace. Remember, too, you were once a teenager, and what you put your parents through. But imagine even more so what we're putting God through, because we're still children, we are, I don't care what age, I don't care if you're a hundred, you are still a baby to God. He is an eternal and timeless God, and so even at a hundred, you're still a baby. And so God sees us as just really, sometimes really stubborn, pig-headed teenagers that just can't get it through our heads. And the writer of Hebrews tells us this. If we deliberately, some versions say, if you willfully continue to sin. Now, we're all sinners. We, we all sin. But there's a difference between us falling and us uh, uh, um, making a mistake and willfully doing this. See, when we willfully, when we voluntarily, when we deliberately sin, what we're doing is we're actually transferring our faith in the one who was crucified and we're transferring it to a faith in something else. That's what a willful and deliberate lifestyle of sin is. 
And so this writer of Hebrews is telling us that if we live that transfer of faith from the living God in Jesus Christ, our high priest, to whatever lifestyle of sin, and you fill in the blank, and it's different for, for many of us, you fill in the blank, but he's saying when you've made that exchange, there's nothing else. There is no other gift. There's no other sacrifice. When you have willingly rejected the cross, there is no other sacrifice. There's no other gift. The word in the text says gift that will take away your sin. In other words, reject reject the cross and you have nothing. There is nothing that will save you. There is nothing that God will accept short of Jesus Christ. He won't accept your money. He won't accept your popularity. He won't accept you name it. Fill in the blank. The Bible says that there is nothing that God will accept except Jesus Christ. No sacrifice would do. And so we stand before this amazing and powerful God. We have a tendency to insult him, to spit on the sacrifice. And I want you to think about how serious this is because we trivialize sin. We absolutely trivialize sin. We, we just make it like it is commonplace and it is not a big deal. But let me tell you how big a deal it is. The writer of Hebrews mentions the Old Testament. He says, if the people in the Old Testament, and I need you to understand this, in the Old Testament, if you committed a capital crime, there had to be a multitude of witnesses. There had to be at least two or three witnesses in order to give you the capital punishment of death. Beloved, there is a multitude of angels in heaven that are your witnesses for your capital crimes. And make no mistake about it, that every sin that we commit is a capital crime against the living God and deserves, we don't want to hear this, but it deserves the death penalty. And every single one of us deserve that death penalty. For our sins. There's no excuse. And it says if it was like that in the Old Testament, then how much more so now that you have seen the full embodiment and the full representation of the living God in Jesus Christ, you have no excuse. How much more will you be punished? But he doesn't leave us there. Although he closes that section, and when I prayed on this, I myself trembled. He says it is a dreadful, a terrible, a terrifying thing, depending on your version, to fall into the hands or into the judgment of the living God. And make no mistake about it, when we die, and the scripture tells us, it affirms this, we are not going into purgatory, we're not going into this space, that we are going immediately into judgment. That scares me. Of the possibility that I will stand before a living powerful, righteous, and just God and have to account for my capital crimes. But that's not the end of it. Because there is, if we do it right, we can show great appreciation as we stand firm in our devotion to Christ. We can show appreciation for the access that was given to us. Let's read the final passage of our text today. Starting in verse 32 again. This is access appreciated. In verse 32, he didn't leave us with fearing being in the hands of the living God, but he gave us more. In verse 32, he says, Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. 
Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to preserve or persevere rather so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, beloved, in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But, and I want you to catch this, we're going to talk about this in a second. And this is a powerful closing of this section. He says this, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who believed and are saved. Amen and amen. So this is the access appreciated. This is how we show in ours, we stand firm in our devotion to Christ Jesus. This is how we show appreciation for the access. And I love how the writer starts with helping us to understand exactly what we're going through. That he says in summation, he says, you know, you're suffering through some things. You're going through some hardship. You may be enduring some persecution. And when I think of this scripture and, and I cross the bridge of time from the ancient text to what we're seeing today and applying this message, not just to our circumstances and situations locally, but globally and around the world, what our brothers and sisters in the faith are enduring being in, if you're in China and the persecution they're experiencing for their faith or in Muslim dominated countries, same thing, or even here today where we experience freedoms and liberty but that we are enduring hardship. But he says, remember your earlier days. Does anybody remember when they first got saved and how joyful that moment was when you realized I just met the living Christ and he loves me? I remember that day. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget sitting in that church and being at that altar, Wings of Faith, Kingdom Ministries, they're still around. I was at that church and P Pastor Rob Watson led that altar call. And, and I just remember the excitement that filled me, that swelled up in me that, oh, my Lord, literally, I just met the living Christ and nothing else will do. But then the persecution happens. Life happens and things start to mount and we forget the joy. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, no, listen, I want you to appreciate the access that you were given. I want you to appreciate in a way beyond understanding that the joy that you experienced when you first got saved is a joy beyond understanding, as the scripture tells us. It is the same joy that persists today. His love, his joy, his passion didn't change your circumstances did but he never wavered he says to remember those early days when you received the light and when i read that scripture i was just wondering god what are you talking about what is the light and it's this enlightenment that the holy spirit brings to our minds that we see things more clearly the Holy Spirit brings us an understanding that clears the way of all the, the minutia of life 
And we see things through the storm that we couldn't see before. This is the light that he's talking about. And that there's solace in that. That we can remember, even as Paul was, that we can have solace knowing that people are suffering with us. That we are not alone in our suffering. That it was Christ who suffered greatly and who suffered first. That Christ understands our suffering. We will never endure, ever, ever, ever. Most of us will never, ever endure what Christ endured on the cross. And so there's comfort in knowing that our brothers and sisters, not only locally, but there is solace in knowing that they too are enduring it. And he implores us, he exhorts us. He says, I want you to remember those and encourage each other. I want you to suffer together with one another and comfort each other. But he says, be steady. Be steady together. In the text in verse 35 and 36 He says, don't throw away your confidence. So often when life piles on stuff, when the finances and the kids and the this and the that, you fill in the blank, when it piles up, we have a tendency of losing our confidence. But this writer says, don't throw away your confidence. But he says, be steady, hold fast, don't lose faith. Why? Because the one who promised is faithful. In other words, God cannot lie. We're seeing today, even through all the things that are happening, we clearly see today that God is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy that exactly what God said he was going to do in the Old Testament, in the New Testament through Jesus, and even now, God is continuing to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can somebody say amen? That is who God is. He cannot lie. See, a proper faith, a rightly rooted, a confident, and a, a, a proper faith always displays a proper patience. And those who can grow impatient, and we all do, but those who excessively grow impatient um, really have to examine their faith because we begin to throw it away, and it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it doesn't just happen quickly. We erode our faith, and we throw away our confidence little by little, by little, until we end up like so many others who completely walk away from the faith altogether. But he tells us, do not throw it away. If you hold fast, if you are steady in the faith, we have this assurance that the writer says we will be richly rewarded for being steadfast, for holding firm to our devotion in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is going to return one day. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour, but he will return. Amen. John even confirms that. I'll read you a quick scripture from John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus says, and this is so applicable to us today. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, so also believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would not have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That gives me so much comfort and it gives me so much joy. 
that I know my Savior is coming back. That I know that despite everything that we're enduring, despite all of our hardship, if my God can never lie, if he has never lied, and when I read this passage, he says he's going, he has gone to prepare a place for me and you and you watching at home. He cannot lie. And if he went to go prepare a place, he's coming back to take us there. He is our great Savior. And we have to appreciate the access that we have in this living God. As we kind of begin to wind down this message a little bit, He is our great salvation. This God, man, this high priest in Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the great I am. He is our salvation. The writer here makes a quote of the Old Testament in Habakkuk where he says that the righteous one will live by faith. Faith in Christ Jesus. But don't shrink back. This is not a time as we get so close to the hour this is not a time to surrender this is not a time for us to surrender to the things that we once hold held dear this is not a time for us to surrender and shrink back to our old ways and you know what those are if you're listening today you know what those old ways were before you had Christ in your life the anxiety the depression, the this, the that, you name it. Drugs and maybe alcohol and maybe wild living and, and you name it. He says, the, the, maybe fear. Maybe unforgiveness. The writer is telling us today, Lord, thank you for revealing your word to this author. He's telling us that now is not the time to turn back. Now is not the time to surrender. Earlier in the text, the scripture says that as the day grows near, the day of the Lord, the, the word day in the text is, is capitalized because it's referring to the day of the Lord. And as we draw near to the day of the Lord, ever so closer, as we see this world falling apart, as we see our economic system and structure even around the world seems to be teetering on the brink of collapse. When all that is going around, when there's pestilence around the world, there is disease that is filling the world. He says, now is not the time when your finances are low, when you're hurting, as you may be right now if you're watching this. He says, now is not the time to turn back but to be steady to be firm in your faith and in doing so there would be great reward for those who stand firm in their faith despite the obstacles despite the persecution he says those who stand firm will be greatly rewarded and I encourage all of you today I exhort you all don't surrender I love how he says, we are not those who shrink back. 
That is not who you are. And so I speak to all of you who are watching today. And in the name of Jesus, I declare in your life that you are not the one who shrinks back. Despite what the enemy wants to tell you, despite the seeds of doubt and frustration that the enemy tries to plant in you, I say to you today, you are not the one who shrinks back. But you are the one, despite the raging storm in your life, you are the one, despite the abuse and despite all that the world is throwing at you and you're taking blow after blow and hit after hit, that you will stand tall in Christ with your head held to the heavens, proclaiming the mighty name of Jesus, for He is risen. He is the living and almighty high priest. We are not and we will not retreat. We will not surrender. See, this passage not only deals with our approach to God, but it takes an honest look and the truth about our backsliding. And we all do it. None of us here are innocent of it. But I thank you, Lord, that you understand that you're stepping in for every one of us in ways that we can't even fathom. But we will not take it for granted either. We will not abuse the glory and the grace of God. But I give you this encouragement. I give you this warning today. Because these are the things that are necessary for us to stand firm in our devotion to Jesus Christ. Such boundless grace 
the God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living home. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living home. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living home. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living 